Good morning. Appreciate the opportunity to stand before you and talk. One of the blessings that we have here at the congregation is having so many good teachers that when we kind of put us in a rotation, it's a while from uh, one to the other. We're blessed with that here at uh, Anna Street, and thank God for that every day. But it has been a while. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I was asking uh, some of the brothers and sisters, you know, what they wanted me to speak on, and, and uh, Michael said twice last Sunday, I want you to speak on Imago Day. And uh, no, not, not really. He said, I want you to speak on um, the image of God. Imago Dei is Latin. Imago meaning image, and Dei or D meaning deity, image of the deity or image of God. And so Brother Michael said, I want you to, I'd like for you to talk about that. And then he went to Harlington to preach this morning, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> But we appreciate, we appreciate Brother Michael doing the Lord's work all over the world, and then including uh, Texas. So the image of God. Most people are familiar with that introduction in Genesis, and we're going to start in Genesis at the very beginning, and we're going to come forward to February the 7th, 2021 in Denton, Texas. So uh, we're going we're gonna to spend the next uh, four hours, uh, no, the next uh, 25 minutes, hopefully, 30 minutes maybe, um, talking uh, about some history and about this uh, this great concept or this great theme of image of God. Most of you would recognize that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26, that's where this is introduced. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That is the image of God. That's where Imago Dei comes from. That's where the concept of the image of God comes from. Make it like us in our image. And those two words have very similar meaning. You got the, the word image. This is the Hebrew word, and it means image, resemblance, or semblance. In the likeness, uh, demuth means in the likeness of or similitude. I don't think those things are meant to talk about two different things. I think they're meant to emphasize one big thing, and that is that we are all created somehow in the image of our Creator, like Him in some way, some semblance and maybe in multiple ways, and that, that is the case. In multiple ways, we're like God. Just think about how God has been presented through the Old Testament to us and think about, okay, well, we have human characteristics that are very much like that. We've seen God get mad. We've got emotions like God had. There's a lot of things about the image of God that we can tell or that we know, but, but what or how are we created in that image? Well, we've got certain natural characteristics. We've talked about some of those already. We've got emotions that are like God. One of the things that we have is that we're spiritual, like God is a spirit. So God is deity. We're spiritual. I said, well, how do you define spiritual? And I, and I came up with the law of thought. <clears throat> and, and, I, and I say that because, you know, fleshly, you know, we're fleshly beings. We're here on this earth. We, we've got the fleshly temporal things. When we think about spiritual, it's really about our relationship intellectually and our thought patterns about our deity. And I found uh, this, this scripture maybe says it better than I can. For though we walk in the flesh or here on this earth, we do not war according to the flesh. We're not in a battle with flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself 
exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So this concept of, and we've heard Michael preach about taking thoughts captive through meditation, through reading of the scriptures, and through all of these different ways that we get involved and ingrained in talking with our Lord through prayer and reading his word to us and meditating on his word and memorizing his word and taking our thoughts captive. We heard Brother Sumner give a great lesson on gatekeeping your heart. You know, keeping everything, all the bad stuff out of your heart and only letting good stuff in and therefore building your heart, taking every thought captive <clears throat> towards the obedience of Christ. Some of you don't even know Brother Steve. That was, that's been seven years ago maybe that, that he gave that sermon. But a very good sermon on, on how to protect our hearts from the world and how to take every thought captive in, this, um, in, in a spiritual way. We're... Oh, y'all got scared, didn't you? I did. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Got a little frog in my throat this morning. We're rational like uh, God. We, we can logically make decisions. We can think. We are volitional, meaning we have free will. We can go about doing what the things that we want to do to a certain extent. I mean, there's some laws that prohibit you from doing stuff, like you can't jump off the Empire State Building twice. And there are some laws that prohibit you from doing some things here in this world, but most of the things that you want to do, you can do at least once probably until you uh, get locked up or go to meet your maker. <clears throat> Relational. We connect other people. And that's one of the reasons that we've, you know, we're, we're coming back together and we're <clears throat> going to have... Uh, uh, fellowship and, and we're going to have a second service is because we need to connect to each other. God connects to us and, God, and we connect to each other. We're powerful. We are sovereign. We are rulers. Just like God. It's in the next verse. In verse number 27. He made us, he gave us dominion over the animals, the fishes of the sea, the birds, the earth. He gave man dominion. We are rulers. We are sovereign. <clears throat> just like um, just like God is. <clears throat> and we are immortal. We have souls. We're going to live forever. Once we're created, once we're born, we're going to be around forever, good or bad, depending on the choices that we make. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. Apologize, that frog. Um, on the sixth day, God had finished his creation. I've created everything. I've created man. I've created woman. I've created everything. And he said, it is good. And on the seventh day, he rested. But it didn't take long for us to mess up good. Chapter 3, the image that he created us in gets tarnished. Many of you are familiar with the story. It starts with the serpent. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. and said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruits of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. 
um, the guys in the back said, Yancey, don't roam around too much. So let me just stand here for a moment and stop down on this verse and let's talk about a couple of things. It says, you will be like God. So the serpent's coming and saying, you're, if you'll do this, you'll be like God. But we've already been created in God's own likeness. So what do we need to go eat a piece of fruit to get that way? Big lie. And then I want to talk about this word knowing here because knowing in the Old Testament is presented in a multiple multitude of different ways. And knowing can mean I've got intellectual knowledge, like I know 2 plus 2 is equal to 4. I know that because I've been taught that and I've got this intellectual knowledge. But if Christy gives me two apples and Ken gives me two apples, now I know from an experience that 2 plus 2 is 4 because I've got four apples in my hands. We're not talking about intellectual math anymore. We're talking about phys physical so I think, uh, I think here when, he, when he's saying you'll know good from evil, I think Adam and Eve knew the difference in, intellectually between good and evil. Because God had said, hey, don't eat of that tree. And they knew they were not supposed to eat of that tree. So they knew good versus evil, but they had not experienced it yet. And the serpent talks them into experiencing evil. It's kind of, so again, knowing is in the Old Testament several different ways. In chapter 4, it says, Adam knew Eve. Well, they were created together. They've known each other for a long time. Well, nine months later, Cain is born. That knew had a whole different meaning. It had a physical experiencing of one another together, and um, they had a baby. In, in um, Sodom and Gomorrah, the opposite. <laughs> It says uh, these, these men had come to warn Lot that the city is terrible. It's going to get burned up. You need to get your family. You need to get out. They were warning Lot, and all the men out in, in, the, in the neighborhood were knocking on his door and said, bring those men out that we may know them. I think they wanted their address, wanted to understand their family, how the family did. No, they, they wanted to create immoral sexual sin with those guys. That's what Sodom and Gomorrah was about. So knowing can mean experiencing it, real, touching it. And I think that's uh, more about what this means here. Because they do experience evil. And they experience it in a very real way. And our problem is that when we think of sin, and this is, um, <clears throat> this is Eve's view of sin, but it's consistent with our view of sin. So when she saw this tree, she said it was good, it's pleasant, it's desirable. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's go do this sin. And so she eats of it, and now we've got, they have not only, they know conceptually the difference between good and evil, but they have made a choice, and they have chose evil. They have disobeyed their creator that just made them in his image. And so the image is tarnished now because evil has entered the picture and again, God doesn't know evil. God is pure. God is holy. He doesn't know evil. Can't touch it. Can't be around it. He conceptually can see it and he can judge it. But he hasn't got any evil within him. The image has been tarnished because man has chosen to go and participate in evil, which God can't be a part of. So our image is tarnished. We're in a bad position. We're in a terrible situation. We know what happens a few, a few chapters later in chapter 6. Man not only knows evil, but man, we're choosing it. 
We're doing it. We're choosing it every day. And in chapter 6, the story says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great, <laughs> great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord says, I'm just going to kill man. I'm, I'm, I'm taking him out. But luckily, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Him and his family, the eight souls that were saved in the ark, they give us an opportunity to repopulate the, the, the world. They give us an opportunity for us to be here this morning. But people chose evil. And we still do today. First John chapter 2 says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the very three things that Eve thought about the fruit before she went and ate of it. Man, it's good. It's pleasant. It's desirable. It's the same three things. In Romans chapter 7, Paul writing here from the Roman prison. He says, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So the law in his members, this physical, this physical thing, warring against the law of his mind, the spiritual thing. He's trying to bring, in, bring it into captivity so he doesn't sin, but he says, I'm a wretched man. He struggles with sin. Even Paul, even Paul, the great apostle Paul. But you know, there's an irony. <coughs> and it's the irony of all ironies, this story, as we move forward. Sister Linda's laughing at my graphic up there. Don't stop, don't park. What do I mean, stop, but don't park? What do I do? The irony of all ironies. And that is that God comes to earth in the image of man. So God makes us in His own image. We mess it all up. And He said, I'll, I'll go to earth in the image of my creation to fix it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you back up to verse number 1, it says, because that, that's kind of odd there, you see capital W-O-R-D, Word. That Word there with a capital W means it's talking about deity. In the very beginning in chapter 1, it says... It talks about the Word and it says He was made flesh and that He was God and that He... he, he Man, I had that verse in my head. In the beginning was... Let's see. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. So the Word being Jesus Christ... Hold on, let me just adjust this and maybe I'll get it fixed. We good? All right, we'll see if that has any if that gets any better. So the word was God, capital W O R D. The word was with God, and the word was God. The word Jesus Christ was God. He was with God. He was in the beginning. And it says here, he became flesh, and he came and he dwelt among us. 
Another verse in Philippians chapter 2 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. So in the irony of all ironies, our Lord Jesus Christ leaves the throne and comes to earth as a man. But he was also the exact image of God. Who being the brightness of his glory and expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He expressed image of his person, several different translations for you, the exact repu- meaning the exact representation of his nature, the exact imprint of his nature, the very character of God, a perfect copy. Those are all different translations from different Bibles on that expressed image. So Jesus came to earth in the likeness of men and as an exact copy of God. Wow. What what for? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things with on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus came in the image of man and in the fullness of the image of God to this earth to do what? What was the purpose? Well, we know he came to give us salvation, right? That's, 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 that is absolutely the case. But there's a lot of things to that. Look at this verse. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So not only did Jesus come and and die for us, not only did he provide us a hope because he lived the perfect life, but he became the perfect intermediary, the perfect one between us and God. Because you see, he didn't sit up on the throne and go, boy, I wonder what it's like to be human. How am I going to interface between me and my father when I don't, I don't know what it's like. He came to earth as a man and experienced it, lived it perfectly. Now when he sits on the throne, tempted in all points like as we are, and he talks to the Father, he can talk about it from he knows. He experienced it. He knows the difference. He knows what it's like to be a man. He lived it perfectly. And he's the perfect intermediary between us and the Father now because he came 
and lived the life that he did and gave the life that he did because he came in the image of man and because he came in the image of God. He's now that perfect intermediary. You got it. caught him up, jacket. So, what's our response? <coughs> Knowing all of that, as we fast forward now, we've gone from the very beginning, we've gone through Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and the hope that it gives us and the salvation that it brings us and the fact that he was tempted in all points like we are, so he is ruling his church, knowing full well what it was like to be a man. What does he want from us? What is our call to duty? <clears throat> well, in Psalms, it, he writes, they write this. The psalmist wrote this. When I, look at, uh, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. The son of man is not capitalized here. So this is saying, what is man that you are mindful of him and humanity that you care for them? So the singular in the group here. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And then it goes on to repeat what we read in verse one, uh, Genesis 1 and 27, talking about the dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds of the air, and all that kind of stuff. So he said, the writer here in Psalms says, God created us. He created us in His image and just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. Everything else is underneath our dominion and our control. So he said, but He crowned us with glory and honor. What's our role in being glorious and being honor, honorable? Well, we're God's image bearers here on this earth. He tells us that in several different places, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians chapter 2. He tells us that we're the light of the world. He tells us, let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we as Christians are to be putting off the image of God in the form of glory, in the form of not hiding our light underneath the, a basket. We're, we're to be the, you know, I've heard this story or the song, maybe a song, um, you, your life might be the only Bible that somebody reads. Your image might be the only time they get a small glimpse of Jesus. It might be the only time they get a small image of God. Is that the image as a Christian that we're putting off? Because He calls us to be the light of the world. He calls us to reflect His image to the world. <coughs> so... We now know, we've experienced, we intellectually know it, we've, we've experienced it, we know it physically, good from evil. God calls us to not only know good, but to choose it. To quit choosing evil. To get away from doing evil because of everything that He's done for us. He's come to earth, He's lived the life, He knows what it's like. He's given us the hope. He's given us the, the direction to go. Choose good. And to remember that we are the, our rep, we are the visible representatives of the invisible God that we serve to this world.
we might be the only chance they've got. So this week, or this past week, as you think about the image of God, and you think about, man, how have I presented myself? How have I looked to wife, husband, kids, church, work, community, wherever you've, you've played this week? And I mean, by played, I mean lived. What's that look like? Has it been the image of God or has it been the image of you? <laughs> or has it been the image of uh, evil? Has it just been stuff that, stuff that doesn't matter? God calls us to be something great. God calls us to have an image that reflects Him. Hopefully some of that has been a little uh, different way of thinking about it. I wish Michael had been here because then this afternoon that he probably would have had an application to clean some of this up and, and <clears throat> make, it, make it all right. But I appreciate him giving me the topic. I, I, I really enjoyed the study, and hopefully it's brought um, uh, some things or some thoughts to your mind that will stimulate you to live a little bit differently. You know, the whole purpose of being edified is for it to trigger something in our hearts, for us to come to church, to hear a song, to hear a prayer, to hear something said from the pulpit, to edify us, to build us up, so that it's a little bit easier to walk that walk this next week than it was the past week. We come around the table to, to reflect on the week and to reflect on the sacrifice. And all of that is to help build us up so that we can have a better chance of reflecting God's image in the world as we go about the week. So I'll, uh, I'll leave you with those thoughts. If we can help you in any way, come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>